what I want to ask you to do is stand up and let's give a rousing welcome to Wilson Cochran, one of our executive pastors who's going to come and give the message. So, Luke and I really love it when he does that. It makes you guys all cheer. I just love that. Hey, um, how are you guys doing? Good. Like you said, my name is Wilson. I'm actually leading that hot training he was talking about. And just really quick tidbit about it. From 10.30 to 11.30, there'll be an hour of training. From 11.30 to 12.30, lunch is on us in the food court of the mall. And then from approximately 12.45 or 1 until 2, we'll actually do HOTS. We'll actually pray for people and then debrief it a little bit after that. So I know four hours doesn't sound like a micro training, but trust me, it's going to be really good. And you only need to come to one to be able to join the HOTS team. So that's going to be really good. I'd encourage you to sign up for that. All right. This weekend is my mom's 50th high school reunion. And I'm really compelled to tell, to tell you guys about something new I learned about my mom. Do you guys want to hear it? Yeah. All right. So here's the text that my dad sent my siblings and I on a Friday night. We're at your mother's 50th high school reunion. She's the hit of the party. She just met an old friend and said to him, you look just the same. He was embarrassed. Laura said, come on, I want to hear something back. He said, what the hell can I say? You were hot in high school and you're still hot today. <laughs> so that makes me the guy who married the hottest girl from the whole graduating class. <laughs> Pretty cool, right? Yep. So I'm going to continue our series today. My dad started it last week called Faith in the Renewed Mind. So I didn't have a joke, so I knew that would get you guys going. Right? I was looking up jokes last night, couldn't find anything. I was like, I'm just going to read a text that says hell in it and that my mom is hot. That should probably get you guys, that'll get attention and get you guys you know, engaged. So last week, my dad preached on faith in the renewed mind. And I want to actually continue that this week, and then I'll be talking about it again next week. But um, before I, just to kind of introduce it, who here is familiar with the story of Peter denying Jesus? Have you guys heard that story before? Um, Peter and Jesus are like best friends. Jesus is the son of God. Peter is one of Jesus' main disciples. And then at the end of Jesus' life, when he needs Peter the most, Jesus denies him. Now, my follow-up question is who here would consider Peter's actions of denying Jesus a failure of faith? Right? Pretty reasonable assumption. Like, that's obvious. He denied God. Failure of faith. Well, let's look at Luke 22. This is something I noticed a couple weeks ago, and it um, kind of blew my mind. This is Jesus talking to the whole group. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to both the prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So 
According to Jesus, well, here, here's another question for you. Does Jesus ever pray a prayer that's not answered? No, no right? Like all of Jesus' prayers, 100% answer rate, right? Yet, Peter does deny Jesus. So was Jesus' prayer answered or not? The answer is yes, because Jesus' prayers and because Jesus' definition of faith in this instance is different than our or what my definition of faith would be in this instance. Can you relate to that? Wouldn't you equate Peter's faith in this whole scene of his life to be not denying Jesus? And yet still, and that's not even what Jesus focuses on praying for Peter. I don't get that, okay? I don't have an answer for why Jesus doesn't pray. I'm praying that you won't deny me three times. I don't know the answer to that. What I do know is that Jesus was more focused on Peter's restoration than he was on Peter not failing. Jesus is more focused on your restoration than he is on you never messing up. That's the gospel. That's really, that's the essence of the gospel is it's not about us, it's all about him. You see that that makes the focus on my performance and my behavior incredibly minimal. It makes the focus on Jesus and what he is saying totally paramount. I think there's like a hidden gem of faith in this little section, in this verse, that it's, faith isn't all about our success. Faith isn't all about the outcome we desire happening. Faith isn't even about what we know to be God's will being completed. Faith is more about our response to what happens. Faith is more about our heart posture towards trusting God even in the midst of everything we think and know to be true not happening or not going the way we want it to. This is a deeper definition of faith than just um, what we want to happen happening. I think Jesus looks at faith differently. He has a big picture view on our faith. He's considering our trajectory and not just the momentary. He's not looking at every individual behavior and decision you make in life and determining whether or not you're a person of faith or not. He's looking at the angle and the direction your life is pointing and then realizing, okay, this is a person of faith. Little things can get us off track, but a trajectory is bigger. It's a, Jesus has a bigger picture on your faith than your moment to moment, your day to day. And it's easy to make faith all about success and positive outcomes, but we see from this passage that that's not what Jesus' definition of faith is. It wasn't Peter not failing. That is not what Jesus equated faith to here. He equated faith to, G to Peter returning to not living in shame. It takes more faith to get out of shame than it does to not fail. I don't know about you, but that's a bigger hurdle for me, to get rid of shame, to get rid of guilt. I get stuck all the time in that. It's not, it's not that, that is where faith really comes to play, is hey, I'm gonna believe what Jesus says, I'm gonna return, I'm not gonna give in to shame and guilt, I'm, not, I'm gonna be restored, I'm gonna trust him, because you know that Jesus' death paid for, and since Jesus is eternal, his death paid for all the sins that were committed before him and all the sins that were committed after him. How many of you know that all of our sins were committed after Jesus' death? And still, his sacrifice pays for all of that. 
every sin you'll ever commit. You're going to mess up, man. Like, you're just going to. We all are going to mess up. We don't have to, but we're in a process of renewing our mind. That's why we're preaching this. That's where we're going after renewing our mind, because we believe that our trajectory can be messing up less and less and less and less and less. But Jesus' sacrifice, his appropriation was enough for all of it, what we've lived through and what we're going to live through. So faith is not denying negative circumstances. It is elevating God above them. Faith is not denying the reality of a situation. It's actually saying, no, God is good even above this. A really amazing example of this is in the Old Testament. Um, some Old Testament characters named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were living in a place called Babylon. And the king, his name's Nebuchadnezzar, super evil, messed up, demon-possessed guy. And he's like, hey, I'm going to make a huge idol of myself, and I want everyone to worship it. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are followers of God, and they're Israelites, and they said, no way, we're not doing that. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes, and he's like, hey, I'm going to burn you alive if you don't worship me. I'm literally going to kill you bad <laughs> if you don't worship me. And they're like, all right. And he, here's their response. She, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You see, their faith was not in the outcome that they desired. You know that the outcome they desired was to not be burned alive, <laughs> right? That's not what their faith was in. It's really easy to do that, isn't it? To make our faith about what we want to happen. No, no, no. Their faith was in the character and nature of God. Their faith was in, Jesus, in, in God, in the Lord. And my unrenewed mind, when I read this, and I see these words, when I see them say, he is able, and but if not, I'm tempted to think, oh man, if they only had more faith, they wouldn't speak out that doubt. If they had more faith, they wouldn't speak out that unbelief. No, that's not unbelief. Unbelief is denying reality. Reality is bad stuff happens. Faith isn't, I'm going to pretend that everything always goes the way I want it to. You know that Jesus had to go through pain and suffering and sickness to redeem us, right? So like, if that wasn't just part of the way it works, then if sickness, like, we can't equate faith with the outcome we desire happening. Faith is above a result. Faith is about a person. Faith is based in a person, Jesus. It's based in God's character. It's based in him. Do you get what I'm saying? He is able. Man, that is pragmatism. You know, there's some healthy pragmatism in life. Like, to be, we, we, we want a culture of extreme faith. We want a culture of people that are radically believing God's going to heal everybody. We want to, that's the type of church I want to lead and a part of. It's people who go with expectancy for God to move every single time that they pray. But to have that kind of expectancy is, does not mean you have to deny the possibility that things don't always work out. 
And actually, you're setting yourself up to crash if the way you think is, man, I just got to do mental gymnastics. I got to focus in on, you know, the blood of Jesus, blah, 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 until there's nothing in me that even considers something bad will happen. That is disassociating from the world we live in. That's not faith. Faith isn't based in an outcome that we desire. Faith is based in a person. Faith is based in seeing Jesus clearly. Faith is based in relationship with him, connection with him. So my goal today isn't to totally define faith, but it's just to bring out this aspect that's been on my heart. It's just been so on my heart to like get, continue to move past the superficial and to be real and to be like, man, what does faith look like? And faith is so multifaceted. I don't have a total understanding of how faith works or the exact definition of it, but I know that a healthy, full faith doesn't deny the possibility of a negative thing happening. It just elevates God above that. I think the reason that they are able to say, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. See, delivering them from the fiery furnace means that they don't all get burned up. Delivering him out of that king's hand, that, what they're saying is that king's power, meaning that you actually aren't the one with power, God is. So we're going to go to heaven. We're going to be with God, whether we die right now or whether he saves us. Faith, like if, if, if faith is all about what we want happening on this earth, then where's our hope in the afterlife? We're supposed to have hope in the fact that this world we're living in will end someday and it'll all just be perfect. <laughs> it'll all be great because we'll be in heaven. We'll be in the new heaven, the new earth. That has to factor into the way we think about faith. Does that make sense? I think that's what they were doing. They were having faith in the afterlife. They were having faith in that God ultimately wins. So here's three things I just want to tease out. Well, okay, so I just defined that success, I just said successful faith isn't never making a mistake. And it's not, successful faith isn't um, being totally certain that the thing you want to happen will happen. And you know, a lot of times, the thing that we want to happen is God's will. So we think, I better just convince myself that that's going to happen, and that equals faith. But that's not faith. Faith is a gift. Faith is not something we can conjure up. It is by grace we've been saved through faith. And this is the free gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. In 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the gift of faith. A gift isn't something you create and earn and make on your own. It's something you receive from the Lord. So we can posture our heart to receive faith. We can posture our heart in a place of hope. Like, I want to be incredibly optimistic. Okay? Like, biblical optimism means believing every person you're going to pray for gets healed. That's biblical optimism. It's hoping that what Jesus said in the Bible is going to always happen. That's different from having a... That is one thing, and that's right. Another thing is having a pragmatic, realistic approach to life that makes you functional, where you realize, hey, but it might not work. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? There's like this diamond in this thought I have that I wish I could present clearer, but faith is not absolute certainty and, and deciding that the thing you want to happen is going to happen. Faith is trusting God above whatever happens. 
So, in um, Luke 18, Jesus talks about faith a little bit and he's, in, in this parable. And he starts with this. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. And then he goes on to tell about this widow that goes to, this isn't it, so you can just take that down. Um, I, didn't, I didn't give them the slide. He tells this story about a widow that keeps on going to a judge, an unrighteous judge, asking him to settle her case. Eventually, the judge just gives up. He's like, I'm sick of you. Yes, I'll do what you want. And then Jesus says, look, if this unrighteous human judge gives this woman what they want, then what do you think God is going to do who's good, who's not unrighteous? What is he going to do? He's going to answer the prayer. And then it ends with this statement. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So our responsibility is not to be the righteous judge. Our responsibility is not to be the force that makes the prayer answered. Do you get that? Dependency on Jesus is you heal. You do it. I'm going to believe you do it. I'm going to put myself in a place that you can use me to do it. But if it doesn't happen, that isn't, I'm not going to necessarily say that's about my faith. There's nowhere in the Bible that Jesus says, you didn't have enough faith, but your other friend did. That's why I healed you. Jesus talks about faith being the reason that people are healed, but he never says it's your little faith that caused you not to be healed. He talks about the disciples one time, the quality of their faith, and, and then he describes how the demon should have came out, but he's not saying your faith wasn't enough to make this happen. Faith is more about showing up and trusting in God with our actions than it is about being certain of an outcome. Faith is like grit, Okay. It's obedience and not giving up. I have a one and a half year old daughter and pretty much her whole life she's slept in our bed with us. Big mistake. Because <laughs> it's like impossible to get her to not sleep in your bed. <laughs> and so for the past, um, since Wednesday night, I've been sleeping on the floor next to her bed. Every time she wakes up, I pick her up, I hold her, and then she falls asleep on my chest, and then I lay her back down in her bed. And then 20 minutes later, she wakes up again, do the same thing over and over and over. And it's getting a little better every night. But that is grit, okay? That's what I'm demonstrating is grit. I'm not giving up. I know the outcome I want. I'm going to keep going for it until it happens. That's what faith is like. Now, can I ever control what is going to happen with my daughter? No, I cannot change her to make her just be satisfied to sleep in her bed all night. But what I can do is show up. I can keep sleeping next to her bed until it, until it happens, and I hope it happens. But do you understand that <laughs> I, am not, I am not the person that makes it happen? Do you get that? It's not me making, I can't change her and go up inside her brain and bring like the hormones or whatever that makes her be peaceful and just sleep on her own. I can't do that. But what I can do is continually show up. And what this, what this is a reflection of to me is integrity. I believe that it's right for my daughter to get out of our bed and to sleep in her bed alone for many reasons, okay? Um, and because I believe that, I'm going to sleep next to her bed until she does it. <laughs> Are you following me? That's grit. That's integrity. That's, I have a belief. I'm going to back it up with action, even if it causes me pain, even if it makes me not sleep well. I'm going to keep going. Do you, do you, are you following me? 
That's what faith is like. Faith is grit. It's you keep going no matter what. I really think that perseverance builds our faith. But to return that whole idea of integrity and um, obedience, if, our, if we believe something, but we never act on it, then we're lacking integrity. And a really practical way this plays out in my life is, I believe that God speaks to me. I believe that he speaks to me about me, and I believe he speaks to me about other people. And if I believe he does that, but I don't share it with other people, then I am not living in integrity. If I believe that God is good, if I believe that he is the hope of the world, if I believe that he loves people and that he wants the relationship with them, but I personally am unwilling to ever act on that, then I realize there's an area in my life where God's inviting me to grow. There's an area of my life where I have elevated some other thoughts, emotions, or feelings above God's desire for me. Does that make sense? This isn't like supposed to be, I'm speaking about myself. I know that every one of you can resonate with this, okay? Because there's like everybody, we all wish we did more evangelism probably, right? So I'm not trying to like twist the dagger here, but I'm just trying to say our, our actions at some point, our, our, our beliefs and our actions have to coincide. If they never do, then there's some part of our mind or our thinking where we, that we trust more than we trust in Jesus. A couple, I've told this story before. A couple years ago, I was getting, um, I'm so convinced that God just wants our obedience, all right? A couple months ago, I was getting Jay Gumbos, and it's a restaurant, and I was like, okay, I'm going to prophesy to this, this server. And so I give her a prophetic word, and I don't really talk, I don't say like God's saying this or anything, I just ask her a question. And she's like, no, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. And I'm like, okay, can I have my change? I'll see you later. And, you know, I just leave. And I don't tell, I don't bring up God at all. I'm just like, oh, yeah, weird. Okay, huh, that was a hunch. And I go. The next week I come back, and I'm like, hey, um, do you remember me? And she's like, yeah, you're the person that asked me that weird question. And I'm like, yep, that's me. And I'm kind of in getting ready, anticipating, like, oh, sweet. Like, it ended up meaning something. That word of knowledge I had, you know, that actually was right. And she's like, and I thought about it all week, and I still don't know why you said it. It just doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, like, awesome. Thanks a lot, you know? And then she follows it up by saying, but blah, blah, blah happened, some other experience. And I ended up going to church last weekend, and I got right with God. And blah, 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 and just, talk, just start spilling her guts to my wife and I. And you, you know what I think happened? I gave God something to work with. I showed up. I was obedient. I did what I was in control of. And then God did the rest. My obedience opened up like a grace vacuum to fall on this girl's life. God had nothing to work with until I opened my mouth. <laughs> And maybe it, the next thing you had to work with was the next person that came by that was more willing than me. Your willingness gives God something to work with. And faith comes. A couple weeks ago, I was with my mentor at breakfast. And we were leaving the restaurant to go for a walk. And I walked by this woman in the restaurant. And this thought just goes through my head. 
she is a witch. That's the thought that goes to my head. Well, she's a witch. I'm just like, what? Like, bad Wilson. Why would you think that, you know? Why are you having that thought about this girl? You know, that's not nice. That's not calling out the gold, you know? And, and I go in the parking lot, and we, we walk and talk, and then we come back in, and we're, um, you know, each is using the restroom, and then we're leaving, and I notice her again. And I see her there sitting at a table with two other women. I'm like, okay, definitely not going to go talk to her now. Like, she's with people. I had a slight window before, but this is super awkward now. No way. And so I walk out to the car, and I'm thinking, like, what would you even say, man? Like, are you a witch? And, you know, (laughs) I'm just, like, wrestling back and forth in my head. Like, what do I do? You know, Wilson, you believe God speaks to you. Why don't you do something about it? Because I don't want to. That's weird, you know? And, like, full on having this conversation with myself pull out my keys. Literally, I pull my keys out. I'm sitting in my car. I'm about to put them in the ignition. And I'm just like, hold on. I want God to speak to me. I really, really want God to speak to me. And I really would love it if he spoke cool things like that to me about other people's lives. And man, he tried, like, I just had this whole realization. Hold on. The Lord just spoke potentially just spoke to you. The only way you can know if it was him or not is if you go and just share. And it was just like a, I don't want to say the fear of the Lord because I don't even know exactly what that means, but it was something like that. It was like, a, it was like a reverence in that moment. Like, wow, I have a chance to obey Jesus right now above my reputation, above what's comfortable. So I go back in like this. I'm just like dragging myself to the table. What the heck am I going to say? Are you a witch? Have you ever seen Charmed? You know? Like, what am I going to say? Sabrina? Teenage witch? Is that you? You know, like, I don't know what I'm about to say. So I just walk up to her, walk up to the table, and I'm like, hey, I'm really sorry to interrupt you guys. And they look at me with that face like, yeah, you are. Like, can't you see this is mother-daughter time or whatever? It's pretty obvious there's two daughters and a mom. And the, the girl on the left is the one I thought I heard God tell me was a witch. And I just say, um, this is going to sound funny, but are you like into spiritual things at all? She's like, what? I was like, I don't know, like magic, like supernatural stuff. Are you into that? And she's like, well, I astro project and I have tarot cards and I, you know, have a Ouija board and, did it, and just starts listing off all this witchcraft stuff, you know? <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, well, sounds like you are. (laughs) And I'm like, well, this is going to be really weird. I got her name, and I'm like, this is going to be really weird, but when I walked by you earlier, I felt like God said to me that you were a witch. She's like, what? And her sister's like, he said you were a witch. And like, (laughs) I'm just like, oh my gosh, what is happening right now? This is terrible. And I said, yeah, so like, I don't know, but God loves you. He's pursuing you. You know, obviously, this isn't stopping him from pursuing you because he just told me a stranger, someone that doesn't know you from Sally, you know, that this thing about your life. And she's like, yeah, what, are you going to save me now? And I'm just like, I'm tempted to. Uh, I was like, you just, you just tempted me, girl. But 
I was like, no, like I can't save you, but Jesus can, and he loves you. And that's why he just told me this about you, because he cares about you. You're special to him. You're precious to him. And she just unloads about the spiritual journey she's been on. She has a history of Christianity, but for whatever reason, it's failed her in some ways. And da, 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 blah, blah, blah. And then her mom's like, yeah, my mother was a Wiccan and a practicing Wiccan and just starts talking about that. I'm like, oh my gosh, witch, 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 like such a witch, you know? And then God shared another thing with me and I shared it with her and her sister's like my wingman at this point. Her sister's like, that is so true. You have that controlling boyfriend, da, 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 blah, blah, blah. And she's just totally like roasting her sister. And I'm like, check it out. Like, Jesus loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He just sent me here to like, to basically put a billboard in front of your face. I love you. You can't run from me. There's nothing you can ever do that will make me disappointed or mad at you. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I was like, so you just have a chance to respond. And I got to pray. She didn't repent and accept Jesus at that moment, but I got to pray for her and, you know, break some stuff off of her. But imagine if I just had stuck my key in the ignition and left. Now imagine if I had gone back in and she had been like, you know, a super saint and it hadn't made any sense and it had no relevance to her life at all. Which one of those would cost a little bit more? Me driving home and leaving a witch in the, in the, the breakfast place that God wanted to love on. (laughs) That, that is part of faith. It's obedience. It's, I'm going to give you something to work with, Lord. Here's what I do have. I think this is what you're saying. I think this is what you're doing. Here it is. This is my sacrifice to you. Second thing I want to say is to be a faithful person, you can't afford to stuff your emotions. You got to be nice to your heart. You got to be nice to your soul. If you're feeling bad, don't feel bad about feeling bad. Who does that? I mean, I would raise both my hands and my feet in the air. I'm a like professional at beating myself up for not feeling the way I think I should be feeling. Look at what, look at what Jesus does. Jesus says, th- this is Jesus' prayer. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. How many of you know that that prayer was led by some negative emotions? Jesus wasn't excited to go get whipped to death and crucified. But you know what he did? He said, God, this is how I'm feeling. You see, if we don't give to God how we're feeling, how is he going to renew our mind and help us get past it? Stuffing negative emotions is not faith. Stuffing negative emotions is stupid. Feeling bad about feeling bad, that's a shame cycle, man. It's okay. Feeling, Feeling a negative emotion is not a sin. Here's what I wrote down. When we recognize a negative emotion, it's an invitation to be more dependent on God. When we recognize a negative emotion, it gives us the chance to be dependent on God and access his life and his solution. As long as we deny how we're feeling, all we have access to is ourself and our solutions. But the moment we say, God, this is how I'm feeling, and we do that sacrificing, we say, here it is, Lord, then we open ourselves up to hope, life, and and a heaven's solution. Third thing, to be a faithful person, you can't afford to be controlled by your emotions. 
So to be a faithful person, you can't afford to stuff negative emotions, but to be a faithful person, you can't afford to be controlled by your emotions. Second part of that verse I read to you, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I don't think Jesus would have been able to get to that point, not my will, but yours be done, without first being like, hey, here's me being real though, this is how I feel. Like just so you know, God, I'm not excited about this, but hey, now that I recognize that that's how I feel, I want to tap into how you feel. As long as you're denying and not bringing any validity to how you're feeling, you'll be stuck right there. You won't be able to actually access at a revelatory, heart-level, transformational, God's presence way, his solution. Does that make sense? That just came to me in the moment. Um, It's pretty much impossible to get to not my will, but yours be done if we're stuffing and denying our negative emotions because it's just self-focus. So to grow in faith, you develop grit, which is just that obedience. You're willing to process negative emotions, and you are willing to do what God says even when your emotions say otherwise. That's how you get stronger, is not my will, but yours be done. So I just want to pray for you guys really quick to end my message. Um, I just want to pray that this is released over us more, that, that we're people of faith, not in what we see, but in who God is. Not in a carnal, focused on what we can see in flesh and blood and circumstances way, but in a supernatural spirit, supernatural God kind of faith. So Lord, I just release that over this room right now. I release the faith that um, we need to keep going when it's hard and the perspective that we should have when things are going well. I just pray for anyone in this room right now who comes in not knowing you, not in relationship with you, not sure where they stand with you, and I just release peace to your heart, and I I just, just want to tell you that God's knocking on your heart right now, and he's saying, come to me, trust me, I'll restore you. So Father, will you just bless everyone in this room right now with that supernatural faith In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to welcome the ushers to come down to get ready to receive the offering. They're going to come all the way down to the front. The baskets are all the way to the left of every row. Pass the basket. You can give through checks, made payable to Vineyard Northwest. You can give on our app. Just thank you guys for giving. It's so cool. Um, we have a church that's really generous and the values tithing and I just job well done for that um, we're going to receive communion today this is the first um, the first Sunday of the month that's when we always do communion it was really cool there was a woman here this morning who's like pretty much never come to our church before and after, after the service she came up to me and she was like hey I had a dream last night that the church I went to served communion and I got, I had a Holy Spirit experience when I received the communion. So I just want to tell you that, man, there's something really supernatural about communion. And it's not, the supernatural thing is not that it becomes blood and skin. The supernatural thing is, this is a God-ordained, God-anointed touch point with Him. Piece of, piece of um, community with the Lord. So man, when you take communion, just think, man, Jesus did this for me. Expect a supernatural experience. Expect more of God as you take communion today. I'm going to release the communion guys to get to their spots.
And uh, there's going to be three communion, four, three or four up front, a couple in the back. So as soon as they get set, um, worship will start, and you're free to come down and take communion.